0: Welcome to this podcast and in this session we're just going to talk a little bit about cross-border mergers and acquisitions. Now organizations operate under accelerated volatility, uncertainty, complexity and ambiguity or what is commonly described as VUCA environments. And the main characteristic of these types of volatile environments is that they are prone to unforeseen rapid and frequent transformations and in these types of cases innovation is essential and it's not an exaggeration to say that innovation is the lifeblood for organizational survival and vitality and necessary to renew competitive advantages so in this sense any good strategy should really be building innovation in as part of its longer-term vision now organizations can of course produce innovations in house but the two questions that warrant attention from this first what is the time frame by which a firm needs to innovate to remain competitive or competitively viable for instance a market moving rapidly towards a new technology does not afford the luxury of time to develop in house solutions Second, how will organisational managers know or establish whether their innovation will take hold in the marketplace? There is, of course, an element of risk insofar as a lot of new product development initiatives, for instance, fail. And where firms have desires to have first mover advantage, it's often second movers or even late movers that often gain the most rents. Relatedly, both questions are underpinned by questions over whether the organisation is actually sufficiently capable or excellent at innovation. So when time is pressing and technology is new or capability is lacking, a strategic solution lies in mergers and acquisitions, often of the more complex cross-border variety. So, in strategy terms, cross-border M&As carry two features that may affect the value ultimately extracted from a merger or acquisition. So, what are the circumstances needed to galvanize employees to join into the common cause of the acquiring organization, and how can we overcome the complexity of managing and integrating various aspects of the acquired firm? So for example, in mergers and acquisitions, especially the cross-border variety, Knowledge sharing is especially important to acquisition outcomes and is affected by integration activities. So this is really one really important condition that we need to keep in mind because the extent to which we integrate the acquired firm can really affect the extent to which we either assimilate its capabilities Or, on the other hand, replace some of its routines and processes with some of our own, which may actually harm some of the very capabilities that we were interested in acquiring in the first place. So we have to be quite cautious of that. The other aspect of knowledge sharing is, of course, there may be specialist and tacit knowledge inside the acquired business that is of use to us and vice versa, which may uh, create ultimately more value and may spearhead more innovation. So conditions in the organization's structure and context incentivize or otherwise adversely impact employees' motivations and ability to perform activities or behaviors that align with the corporate strategy that we had motivating the merger or acquisition in the first place. Equally, organizations undertake mergers and acquisitions to gain access to essential knowledge and capabilities. In many studies over the years, such as Dunn and Deisters, Schneckenberg, Scooter et al., all of these have spoken to the same core principle. We undertake an M&A to ultimately gain access to new or essential knowledge that we do not have and potentially capabilities that are either better than ours or, again, that we do not have. But such capabilities are frequently lost or destroyed, with innovation outcomes subsequently reduced as a result because of poor post m structuring and poor post m organizing and managing. And a good illustration of this is the work of Parachuri and Eisenman in 2012. So on the one hand, close integration reduces the flexibility of employees in the acquired firm to end, to continue to undertake productive productive actions along the routines and processes previously existing in their business now the reason i keep drawing attention to routines and processes is because routines and processes are central to what we know as capabilities So high levels of structural integration imply the standardization of operational processes, products, services, technologies, and the like, and therefore facilitates efficiency in decision making, information processing, problem solving, and knowledge application across the combined firm. The problem is that while close integration can generate efficiencies that help recoup some of the investments we made in the acquisition, The downside is that excessively close integration and replacing some of the routines and processes of the acquired firm with our own means that we are actually at risk of harming the very capabilities that we were acquiring in the first place. So uh, on the flip side, Allowing more flexibility can create room for entrepreneurship, so for example my own work in in 2020 when we looked at how in cross-border mergers and acquisitions corporate entrepreneurship activities might be a way of spearheading and stimulating innovation across the acquisition. Now I think the main point about that is by allowing flexibility you create the breathing space or oxygen for innovation. Now, as should be quite um, apparent here, the acquiring organisation is in something of a catch-22, or a double bind if you will, where space is needed to enable the acquired firm to continue its wealth-creating activities in a way that made them an attractive target in the first place, and while also pacifying investors that the M&A will bear a relatively quick return or will prove to be financially uh, viable because the sad reality is many post uh, so many mergers and acquisitions go on to fail and by fail i mean that they do not generate the value or wealth that they were expected to often in terms of cost efficiencies not arising synergies not arising innovations not resulting so I think in this situation, it's having a very clear corporate strategy can inform the reasons behind a merger and acquisition in the first place. But while that may incentivize the purchase or the merger, what is then critical is a co-occurring strategy to explain how the two organisations are going to come together. Now, in some cases, the corporate strategy may simply continue to treat the business as relatively standalone and it simply makes a financial contribution to the group as a whole. You know, in that scenario, it's probably just going to continue as a satellite subsidiary. But when you have corporate parents that are more um, hands on or seek more integration, then in which case several practices are potentially at play here. One is the extent to which they may attempt to transfer best practices from the the new corporate parent organization to the acquired one. Again, we see this regularly with um, cross-border mergers and acquisitions in terms of greater levels of integration, but equally, we often commonly see this just when we look at standard subsidiary relationships with headquarters, where in setting up, for example, a new subsidiary overseas, they commonly seek to transfer best practice from corporate HQ. So, again, if the internal subsidiary is going to find that challenging from an institutional perspective or in terms of adapting to what is needed in the marketplace, again, think of this as oxygen, then when you're making a cross-border MA, the problems are only going to be magnified because you're dealing with a organization or, or new subsidiary that may be quite different culturally to what to what your organization has depicted or operated under in the past so in conclusion then, corporate mergers and acquisitions, especially the cross-border variety, require careful consideration of where and how the acquired business slots into corporate strategy and managing the duality between integrating the business sufficiently to extract value while maintaining some of the critical capabilities that made it attractive in the first place. The danger of failing to achieve this balance is losing the critical ingredients and opportunities for innovation and competitive advantage that a merger and acquisition offers. And in the end, what you're left with is a problematic asset that may not deliver on its strategic promise. So in this sense, the core strategic issues are set around corporate strategy, integration and the oxygen for innovation and thinking about that, I guess, the, the triad of relationship among those three factors. So I hope this gives you some useful food for thought, and thank you for listening to this podcast.